Good morning. That was horrible. Good morning. You almost had me convinced it wasn't good there for a minute. Uh, good morning. Man, so glad to be here. Um, so glad to be here with you guys this morning and just to, to dig into what God's going to say to us. If you got your Bible, you can flip open to Ephesians 4, and, and we're just going to kind of dig into this book together. Um, I'm going to ask you over the next couple of weeks to do something, um, and it's going to be weird for some of you, uh, but luckily we don't have a name out front, so you don't get to do that, whatever that thing is. Um, but I'm going to ask the next few weeks, if you guys that are in the back, I know you're going to hate me, but get over it, uh, we'll just maybe slide forward and consolidate a little bit for two reasons. One, we're family, and we like each other, and we're going to sit closer together, so that'd be great. And uh, two, uh, we're believing God for more people, so get out of their seats, right? Um, <laughs> So you got to scoot forward so when somebody new walks in and they're like, oh, there's no seats in here, it's not because the seats are all hidden in the dark in the other side of the room, but they're, they're right there in the back, welcome and waiting. So uh, I'm going to ask you to do that in the next couple weeks, and uh, if, if you do that, I'll love you. If you don't, I'll still love you, but I'm going to come and beat you up later or something. Just kidding. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, we've been talking for a couple weeks and months, years maybe, about how we believe God for something, and I still believe him for that, don't you? So let's prepare for it. Uh, we got to make space. We got to get ready um, because in reality, it's not about us. It's about them and it's about him. And uh, we just need to make some space for some people. So uh, do that for me and that'll be great. But this morning, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 and uh, we're going to talk about this series again, We the Church. And uh, I think this is the last week. We'll just see kind of what God wants to do with that because um, I've got about seven other things I want to talk to you about and I'll forget them if we don't get there soon. But we're going to continue this series, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to continue this series, We the Church, and uh, we're going to continue to talk about what the church is and what it should look like, because here's the reality, we all have a very flawed view of the church, amen. Can we just get there this morning? We all have a very flawed view of the church. See, the reality of it is most of us probably grew up in church, Right? We've probably been to church over and over and over again, and we've probably been to 14 different types of churches, maybe 14 different churches, maybe 14 different denominations. But in reality, I've never seen a, a church like Jesus talks about, have you? Jesus says about the church right, that, that he'll build a church and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against it. You ever heard that? You ever seen that? Now, I've, I've heard it a million times, right? It's right there. It's the words of Jesus. So obviously it's true because everything Jesus says is true. But I've never seen that kind of church. But the reality of it is we're not looking for a model around us this morning. We're looking for the model that Jesus has set out and called for his church. And we're going to talk about that again this morning. And we're going to talk about that in Ephesians 4. Before we do that, we just have to come around a couple ideas. One is a church is not a building or an organization that we come to or we attend. Amen. Like, it's not a building. We, we can have a million different buildings, and none of those are the church. There's a lot of buildings with the name church printed on them. They're not the church. They're brick and mortar, and they may be a bar. They may have been a bar. We were. Um, they, they may go into that later on in life. They may be a restaurant. They may be knocked down, and somebody may put a house there, but that's never been the church. The church has never been a building, and it's never been an organization. In other words, the church is not a Baptist church. And the church is not a Methodist church, and it's not a whatever other label you want to put church on there. It's not an organization. It's a group of people who are followers of Christ that we meet with. See, in reality, we are the church. You're the church. Are you a building? No. Are you an organization? 
No, you're the church, right? So it's not a building or an organization we meet with or meet at. It's a group of people who are followers of Christ we meet with. And the second reality this morning we have to come around is we are the church. That me and you together are the church. See, in reality, I'm not a church. You can blame me all you want, but I'm not the church. And you are not a church. So I can blame you all I want, but you are not the church. See, we are the church. And what that means for us this morning is on our own, we're not really fulfilling what God has placed us into and called us to. Amen. I think we need to hear that because there's a society today or a group of people that are the church who have been saved and called forth that think that it's easier or better or acceptable to do church on your own. And the reality is that's never been true. You cannot, in fact, do church on your own. You can be a follower of Jesus kind of on your own, but you're not really following Jesus because he believes in the church, right? But you can't be the church. And what that means this morning is we need each other. I need you. And you need me. Actually, it's a glorious blessing this morning that God has placed us in the church. Now, a couple years ago, you wouldn't have heard that come out of my mouth. I'll just be honest. Raise your hand if you've been hurt in church. Just throw that up there. Hopefully all of you, because if not, you've not been around church very long. Um, Everybody has been hurt in church at some point in time or another. But the reality this morning is it's not a building that hurt you, right? It's not an organization that hurt you. It's a group of people who say, right, they are followers of Christ. But I just want you to know um, that was never intended to be that way. Never intended to be that way. The church, when Jesus talks about it, is a blessing, right? It's a hard work blessing, but it's a blessing. We're put together because we need each other. We're put together because we, we, we are stronger together and we will never accomplish what God has called us to do in separate or outside of the unity of the body of Christ. And this morning, maybe that sounds elementary. You're like, oh, thank you, Brad. I already know that. That's great. Um, but I just want you to know this morning that until we get a healthy view of the church, we'll never be a healthy church. Amen. Until we get a healthy view of the church, we'll never be a healthy church. I'm going to tie this or I'm going to fall down and Nick's going to worry for the rest of the time because he's probably already noticed it, haven't you? Yeah, he tells me sometimes. Um, I'm going to tie that. Hopefully I won't step on it. I got excited during worship this morning. Um, if, if you were to ask me today uh, if we were a healthy church, I would say no. Diagnosis, right? I don't think we're a dying church. I don't think we're going away today. And we're definitely not a dead church, but I would say we're probably not a healthy church. In the past few weeks, what we talked about, kind of the journey to a healthy church, is that we kind of live in this contract that Jesus has laid out for us. And one is that we show up, right? That, that we are here. And I, I know there's things that happen, and, and I'm not beating up on you if you have been sick or you've been on vacation, because I'm going to go on vacation, you're not going to make me feel bad about it, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad about it. Uh, but, but what it means is we're not looking for the best option on given Sunday. We, we know where we're supposed to be is in the house, because here's the reality. You need us. You can't follow God outside of the unity of the church. You can't do that. Part of following God is being in the unity of the church. And, and two, we need you. So I don't want to say that to shame anybody. I don't say that to make you feel bad. I, there's been Sundays that I've went to Walmart because I just rolled in late and it was a mess and I get that and stuff happens. But I just want you to know, like, in the end of the day, we need each other to be a healthy church. We've got to be here. Two, we've got to be involved. 
You cannot be a healthy church if there's 14% of the people doing all the work in the church. I'm just speaking kind of pastorly this morning. I'm not getting any of this. We did it the past two weeks. But we can't be a healthy church if the whole body's not moving together. If 14% of my body showed up to work this morning, um, I wouldn't be standing up here because 14% of my body can't do it, right? We need 100%. 99 is less than best, right? 98 is less than best. You don't want to operate today at 76% capacity, right? Like if your arm was like, oh, nope, not doing it today and just hanging there all day, you'd be frustrated, right? You want to operate at 100%, and so do we in the church. So what we need to be a healthy church is we've got to be involved. Everybody, everybody fills a spot. It may not be the biggest spot in the world, may not be like the, the, the glamour spot, but everybody fills a spot. Three is, and I know this kind of might get me shot, but it's okay, we're in blame, um, <laughs> is we've got to give to the church, Right? I know that's like a touchy subject and people don't talk about it much because people get offended. I don't care because um, I know, right? Money means ministry. Money is not we're going to keep the lots going. It never should be. We have to have lots. We should never have to worry about lots if we got people. Amen? Rent is, is a part of the deal. We got to pay rent. Like you can't show up here. John will kick us out fast. Um, he, he's not a forgiving man. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he will kick us out if we don't have rent. So we got to have rent. But in reality, beyond that, we got to be able to minister to people or we're not a church. To be a healthy church, you got to give. It's part of the deal. You got to pray for your church. Amen. Can I get some amens? Because I feel like in the church we've lost that, that prayer is an important thing, and it really is an important thing. It's like the last, yeah, amen. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the last thing that we think of, and it really should be the first step, right? Like I, I should have put that maybe as number one. But you've got to pray for your church. We can't do this without the power of prayer. See, in reality, man, all of heaven moves when the people of God pray. That's, that's what happens. Like, God responds if we'll just pray, right? If we'll seek his face, he will move. He will act. He's faithful. And, and, and his people need to pray. And we need to pray for the church. And then kind of on top of that, we need to invite people into this place. Amen? All the empty chairs are your responsibility, and my responsibility. They are our responsibility. They're not only my responsibility. Amen? Can we just do that? It's not my responsibility. The best preaching in the world will never keep somebody in the seat, and they'll never bring them to it. Amen? Uh, and converse to that, the worst preaching in the world will never vacate all the seats. True. That's right. <laughs> We have to invite people. The, the music can't be it, right? The preaching can't be it. The greeting, parking, that can't be it. We have to get people in this place. The, what's the thing people say about advertising? Word of mouth, right, is the best, right? Instagram posts are great, not as good as word of mouth. Facebook posts are great, not as good as word of mouth. You know what moves people? When they've been invited 42 times at the subway up in Blaine to church by 42 different people. That's what will move people. Not I saw an Instagram post. Because an Instagram post, I'll be honest, isn't going to compete with sleep. And we got to be involved in that way where we invite people into this place. If you're here and you like being here, bring other people in here. Those empty seats are your responsibility. And we're here not for us, but the mission of the church is we want to see people that are lost be found, right? You have a role in that. We want to see people that are far away be brought near to the cross, right? And you have a part in that. And then last week we added that we want to love those around us. Amen? That's, I'll be honest, that's what we're bad at. <laughs> that and being involved. Those two things. 
We want to love those around us. And that doesn't mean, hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'll talk to you next Sunday when you walk in the door. Amen? We want to love those around us. And then with that, we want to be involved in meaningful community in the church. And I'll be honest, we're coming with some, some ways. There's things coming uh, that are going to help you with that. But until we get there, you have a house, probably. You have a stove, probably. If not, McDonald's has one. And you can meet with people in the church when you are not here. It's amazing. Amen. We have right now Sunday morning. You can meet here. Students has Wednesday night. You can meet here. If you're old and you feel like a young, come on. Nick will preach to you anyway. Um, um, and then we have Thursday nights when we get together. And if you've never been, Thursday nights is pretty amazing. Uh, we get together in groups. You don't have to listen to me talk for six hours. We get together in groups and, and we talk about the Word of God. And there is meaningful community that happens there. We're going to add some things. We're going to add some specialized things. And we're going to add some maybe everybody things. We're going to add some things. But right now, we've got to be involved in meaningful community in the church. And if those things, if that little contract doesn't happen, if we don't have a healthy view of what church is, we will never be a healthy church. I just want you to know that. It's a new church, but it can be a dead church in a couple of years if we don't change some things in this moment. Amen? That's a true story. Uh, I recommend a book to you, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, if you want to get it, and you'll see, man, all these things we're talking about, those churches that are, used to be mega churches, used to have it together, and then they die. Everything that we just talked about led to that demise. It was never the music. You can blame the music. It was never the music. Amen? Hymns will do it just like new songs. They really will, if all the other things work. It was not the version of the Bible they picked. Amen? King James will do it just like the Holman. Doesn't have anything to do with that. It was never the carpet. It was the people. It was the people. Amen. Because we are the church. And I know maybe that's a full plate this morning, but if I could just add to that. Um, amen. <laughs> uh, with me? Shut me off yet? I, I, I'm, God's people are rowdy people, so I'm going to need something. Um, there we go. Um, if I could just add to that this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. And we see that little pesky thing at the top of that again that says unity and diversity right, in the body of Christ. We see here in, in, in Ephesians, Paul again is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, a group of people like us. I think sometimes we hear the Bible and we're like, oh, I'm already saved so I don't have to listen to anything else. And can I just say like that's false mentality um, because there's nothing in this that is written solely for lost people. Actually, even every reminder of the gospel and every story of Jesus is written to the church. And yes, it can be used uh, with the Holy Spirit to move people into a place of I am saved, but it was never written to the lost because without the Holy Spirit, you can't even understand the Bible. So this morning, everything that's on this page is written not to the lost, but to the church, right? The saved people at Ephesus. So if you are in that category, if you are a person who would say, I identify as a follower of Jesus, I've given my life to him, this is for you this morning. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for whoever you wish was here this morning to hear this, but it's not here. It's for you. So don't bat it away. And he's going to talk to this church at Ephesus and through them to us this morning about this idea that there is unity, yet diversity in the body. I'm glad it doesn't say unity and unity in the body, aren't you? Everybody looks the same and acts the same and dresses the same and talks the same and sings the same and reads the same. It's all really boring in here, right? 
It's like the doctor's office mentality in here. All the walls are white and there's no pictures on the wall and you got them fluorescent lights in the ceiling. It's, it's not like that. Actually, the church is built to be a diverse group of people of different backgrounds, different histories, different ethnicities. The church was never meant to be one clone model of anything, right? It's a bunch of different people moving together with one purpose. Unity, yet diversity in the body. And Paul's going to talk about that like he has in pretty much all these letters. And he says, I, therefore, dang. That means we've got to go back. Um, Anytime you see a therefore, what it means is you need some context for what's about to happen. Um, a wise person once said, you've got to see what the therefore is therefore. Uh, so we've got to go back a little bit, and we're going to bump it back to 14 this morning, even though really our context comes from 21, but I want you to hear this. He says, for this reason, Paul speaking, I bow my knees before the Father. We have Paul here praying and, and saying, uh, this, is, this is the prayer that I pray to the, to the Father in heaven. From whom, by the way, every family in heaven and on earth is named. Um, that's pretty cool. In 16, he says, I pray, here's my prayer, that he may grant you or give you according to the riches of his glory, that, that according to who God is, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. This is what he's saying to the church. I pray for you. You imagine how many churches Paul has to come in contact with and then he's still thinking about Ephesus and he, he prays this over this church often. Uh, so Paul even prays for the church, right? And he says, I, I pray that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, in the inner man. What he's saying is that spiritual man inside of you. We all need some strength in the inner man this morning, amen? Amen. <clears throat> And he says, and, that's not all, that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's writing this to saved people, by the way. Right? Isn't that weird? That the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's writing this to the church, and this is what he's saying about the church. And praying that God's not a visitor, but he lives there, right? And praying that God doesn't only show up on Sundays when you have to be around people in the church, but he lives there. Right? I pray that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts. <clears throat> through faith, and I pray, here's again, I pray, third time, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, in the love of God and love for each other, okay, in love for God and love for people, that you're rooted, that you're, you're dug deep into that, you're not going to easily break away from it, and you're firmly established that in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the people around you, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. Now, I think this is an amazing part of the prayer. I'm not really even planning on talking about this, but we're going to do it this morning, kind of sidetrack. You will never experience the love of God in the fullness without the love of the church. Oh, I don't feel like God loves me. We're the physical representation of the love of God on the planet. You're never going to experience the full love of God without the love of the church. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love for each other may be able to comprehend out of that love with all the saints, the people around you, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. It's our love for each other that helps us to experience the love of God and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. You haven't experienced it yet. Oh, I know about the cross. You do not know the full love of Jesus. And you'll never actually comprehend it in full until you see what he gave for you. Amen? Oh, I'm bored with the cross, so you need to dig deep. <laughs> because there is nothing boring about the cross. 
He says, the love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's where it happens. And it says in 20, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, this is talking about God, according to the power that works, where? In us, in you, right? God's able to do above and beyond anything we can think or imagine, but he's not going to do that kind of off on an island on his own. He's going to do that through the vessel of the church. And what it means is a church that's not willing to stand up will always sit down. Amen? Amen. A church that's not willing to move will never move. A church that's not willing to go forward will never go forward. A church that's not willing to grow will never grow. God will do above and beyond anything we're planning on if we'll get engaged and involved in what he's doing. The church. Not one, not two, 100%, right? Amen. Can we just amen that, please? Thank you. I just want to make sure you're awake. Um, And it says in 21, to him, this is what he's closing out here. This is the money moment. To him be glory in the church. To God be glory in the church. To God be, be, be worshipped in the church. To God be beauty is really the word it's saying in the church. In other words, God can be made beautiful through the church. I know that's a foreign concept this morning because for most of us, what we think of and we think of like the church is, oh, the church is ruined, the church is old, the church is what you do when you don't have anything better to do. The church is, no, the church can make God beautiful on the planet Earth. In other words, the church doesn't have to be the mocking point of Jesus. The church can be like the glorifying moment of God. Like when people see the church, they should see the physical presence of God working on the planet. Like that's where it happens at. And he's saying to him, be glory in the church, to God be made beautiful in the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, not just after the church at Ephesus dies. Not just after all the saints are gone, not just after Paul is dead, but forever there's this possibility this morning even that God can be looked at as beautiful to the, from the, to the non-believer through the vessel of the church. And this is the context of the therefore this morning. That's beautiful to me. I hope you get that. Like, I really hope you get that because I grew up in church. I want you to know that. And there's some good things in church, but just as many good things in church or more normally are accompanied by bad things. You ever sat through a business meeting and you thought, I'm never walking back in here? Amen? Amen? Amen. I've done three or four of them. Never walking back in here. I've actually been talked to in a way by church people, sometimes by pastors, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You ever been talked to like that? By a preacher, and you're like, I'm never coming back. No, I'm never, I'm never even going back to church. You ever been there? I've seen a group of people so caught up in their self and so out of love with Jesus, I thought, there is nothing to this, and I'm saved. What do you think they think? And the world will tell you the church is dead, right? Or it's defeated. It's never going to grow. The church age is over. It's coming to a close. And the reality of it is there is still this hope this morning that the world can look at the church and declare God beautiful because of how his people interact with each other. Therefore, still hope this morning. Now, you may be like jaded by the church. You're like, ah, I'm just, I'm going to come. I'm just going to do the thing. It's more than that. And the world, the lost, the people that are, that are done with church and are never coming back, those people that have been so burnt, they can come back if they see what God intended for the church to be and declare, man, God is beautiful. The people that have never been to church and never going because they've heard all this stuff and they see that we don't know how to act, we don't know how to treat each other, man, they can be turned around. 
See, the truth of it is, heaven is open this morning. I want you to get that, because we think it's closed, because we've been in church, and we're like, oh, there's no heaven anymore for people. Like, it's not a reality. Like, three people get saved a year. Like, nobody's, nobody's really going to, there's not going to be any great revivals. There's not going to be any great movement of God. That's a lie. It's a lie. Just say that. The devil wants you to believe that, but it's a lie. See, the reality of it this morning is there is still hope that the world would declare God beautiful through the vessel, the bride of Christ that is the church. And this morning it says, I, therefore, therefore, because of that, me, Paul, therefore, because of that, the prisoner of the Lord, I love that he calls himself that. Paul's a free man. He's not a prisoner of anybody, but he makes himself. He sometimes calls himself a slave of God. Paul here says, man, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Paul can do whatever he wants. Can I just say that? Paul could walk away from the church. He could walk away from the gospel. When he got stoned over and over again, he could be like, oh, I hate this. This is not worth the pain. But he never does that. Actually, at the end of his life, you see Paul tell Timothy, it's worth it. Keep running. Here I am standing at the end. I'm in prison. They're about to kill me. I'm about to lose my life. And I just want you to know, man, I see in the glorious future to come that God is going to himself present me with a crown. And it is worth it. Man, that's the Paul that we're seeing here. And he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. No, he's not. But he makes himself a prisoner, Lord. He sees God, and he's like, man, I see you, and I see what you're worth. And because of that, man, I'm giving you everything. I'm not giving you Sunday. I'm not giving you Wednesday. I'm not giving you a couple hours. I'm not even giving you a pitiful little devotion. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm a prisoner. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could say that? I'm a prisoner. I'm a slave of God. I'm giving everything. We sing songs like, I'll sur- I surrender everything. What we really mean is, please make me happier. And he's like, no matter what it takes, God, if you put me in jail, if you kill me in prison, if they behead me, whatever they do, even if they take me and they put me on a cross, amen, hallelujah, I'm a prisoner of you, and at the end of life, it's going to be worth it. This is that guy writing, and he says to the church, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, a beautiful and glorious calling to make God beautiful among the world. This is the calling he's talking about, people. Not a calling, I'm going to come to church on Sunday, or I'm going to stand up for three songs, or I'm going to raise my hand sometimes when he tells me to, or I'm going to read the Bible, or I'm going to pray some prayers. But man, make yourself worthy of the calling, the beautiful calling for God to be made beautiful among the planet. Surrender yourself to that, is what he's saying. I urge you, what he's saying is I beg you. From a place of I'm a prisoner of God to I'm a slave of God to I've given everything, what he's saying is, dude, I don't feel like I've missed out on anything. And I beg you to get into this moment. See, you've got you to get to where I am. You've got to get into the I'm a prisoner of God mentality. You've got to get into the I'm a slave of God mentality because I've not missed out on one thing. And I want you to lend yourself and lean into this idea that you can walk worthy of the calling, the glorious calling to make God beautiful among the nations. That's what he's saying to the church in that sentence. Woo! No? Okay. Um, it's hoping. It's hoping. Um, I think we look at this and we're like, well, what do you mean walk worthy? Right? Because our mentality with the word worthy is that we've got to earn it. That I can walk in a way that I can earn the free grace of God. That doesn't even make sense really, does it? How can you earn something that's free? The reality is you can't. Or, or that we, we have to live in such a way, let's just change walk to live, because that's what he's talking about anyway, um, that, that we can live in such a way that, that, that we can pay God back for the grace that he's poured out on us. That's what we hear when we think about that, and we think that God's maybe like putting us in chains or putting us under subjection to that idea, but that's not what he's talking about at all. 
This, this idea of worthy is, is kind of foreign concept to us, but what it's saying here is equal to. It's this idea, have you ever seen like out in front of the courthouse, the lady with the scales and there's like the two little ropes and the cups on the end, like the balancing thing? And and then you put something on one side and put something on the other side and it'll tell you which one's heavier and, and, and what the idea is that those two things would come out equal. That's the image here that he's saying when he says walk worthy. And what he's saying is walk equal to the calling you have received or walk in a way that the calling you've received makes sense. It adds up to those that are looking in. See, the truth of it is we, we carry around this message and it's a true message that, that God is love, Right? And that God is grace and God is forgiving and that God has, has chosen us sinners and he's forgiven us sinners and he's redeemed us and he's, and, he's, and he's saved us and he's calling us upwards towards heaven. That our God is a loving and forgiving God full of hope and grace and truth. That's what we, that's what we tell people and I just want you to know that's a true message but, but when the world sees the church what they don't see is, is that making sense with that message. When they see our lives inside the church that's what they see. That doesn't make sense because they're the most hateful miserable people I've ever met, right? They go watch church on TV. It's amazing. I promise, especially if they show worship. That's why most of them cut out worship, right? I sat and I watched, I won't say the name of the church, but it's downtown. And I sat and I watched this church sing like, how great is our God something one Sunday. I have no idea why. I just was flipping through and it was there. And I was like, oh, I know that song. And this is the face. How great is our God? Does that make sense? Is that equal what they're singing? No. What we tell lost people at that moment is there's nothing really to worship about this God. There's nothing really that spectacular about this God. There's nothing really extravagant about this God because I, I won't even look happy, let alone raise my hand or dance or smile or cry a little bit. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And what you communicate in that moment is he's not really worthy. It's not really that impressive. It's not what you mean, but it's what it is. And if you say, oh, it's not just my personality, it's not really a good cop-out because when the person standing beside you that doesn't know your personality sees that you're not actually going to worship this God or even look excited about this God, what they see is not, oh, it's probably just not his personality. It's he doesn't care. You know, magnify that, right? Magnify that to at work or at school or wherever, and you're like, oh, yeah, I go to church, or they've seen your Instagram post from how youth camp was the most amazing thing ever or how this morning changed your life or whatever, and then they see you the next day, and there is actually significantly no change in your life. Oh, um, that doesn't make sense. So obviously, God didn't do anything. I'm just trying to translate the, the mind of the lost this morning for us because I just want you to know I, I can see where they're coming from. Or they, 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 they hear about these churches who split over stupid stuff, right? I've been in those meetings, I just want you to know. Oh, they didn't put the Sunday school chairs back where they were from. I'm so mad I'm never coming back here. Or, you ever been there? Over a Sunday school chair? Who cares? You could take all these chairs out, and, and I, it wouldn't bother me any. I have to stand up the whole time anyway. <laughs> and it shouldn't bother you either. Because at the end of the day, it's never been about the chairs, has it, or the sign, has it, or the name, has it, or the clothes, has it. It's never really been about the coffee, has it. Oh, they didn't buy my brand this week. Who cares? Because it's never really been about any of that stuff. And when the world sees that stupid stuff and they look at the church, they're like, it doesn't make sense. How can God be so great and they be so focused on the chairs? How can God be so great and they would trade him in for anything that's a better option? 
How can God be so great, yet they live and act and talk like they're so far away? How can God be so loving, yet they're so miserable? How can God be be so forgiving, yet they yelled at the waiter in the restaurant this morning? Because they didn't get the refill fast enough. How can God be so generous and they tip so crappy? I know I'm hitting home with some of this, but can I just say, like, that's what, make, that's what they see. How does that make God beautiful to anybody? Go ask a waiter what they think about Christians. I'll be honest. Go ask one that works on Sunday regularly what they think about Christians. None of them people are coming to church. Because they see us walk in with our ties and be the most miserable and complaining people. Go ask some people that work where you work what they think of Christians. Actually, go find pretty much any person that doesn't go to church anywhere and ask what they think of Christians. Can I just say, we're not making God beautiful among the nations. And the reason why is not because our songs are not good enough. It's not because we're still singing hymns or because we don't like hymns. It's not because of any of that. It's not because we don't use the right Bible translation, right? It's not because we, we don't preach in a certain time context. It's not because we don't have greeters and parking or we do have greeters and parking. It's not because we don't have all the programs. And it's not because we have the biggest building or we don't. See, the reality of it is a church is not a building or an organization. It's a group of people who are supposed to be followers of Christ. And when the world sees them and it's like, that doesn't add up. It doesn't reflect on you. And it doesn't reflect on a building. It reflects on Jesus. And Paul enters the room this morning and he says, hey, Ephesians, you are kind of bad at this. But I want you to know, man, the hope is still the same this morning. There's still this glorious hope that we can make God beautiful among the nations. It's not too late. See, in reality, is just as quickly as it's been messed up, it can be turned. He says this morning, you can still make God beautiful among your workplace, and you can still make God beautiful at school, and you can still make God beautiful in the community, but if you're going to do that, you've got to man up a little bit. I'm begging you to live in a way that makes sense when it reflects the gospel. See, in reality, uh, the reality of it is, put all the Jesus bumper stickers you want to on your car. That doesn't make you a Christian, and it doesn't mean you act like one. I've seen people with Jesus as my co-pilot flip people off just as quick as people who aren't. He says, why don't you live in a way, let's try this amazing, radical idea. Read it, and then live it. You don't even have to know most of it. You don't have to know much of any of it. They didn't actually even have the opportunity to read it because it was just a series of letters at this point in time. You know what scripture the Ephesians had? Ephesians. You know what we got? The whole thing. If you would just like realize that God is love and then be a reflection of that love, it would change somebody's tomorrow. If you would continue to say God is grace, because he is, but then to show grace, it will change somebody's life. See, the reality of it is, it's not that we don't know enough of the Bible, it's that we either don't know enough about God or just refuse to reflect it. 
So there's two fundamental problems. Either A, I've lost and I've never experienced grace or hope or love or forgiveness, or I just don't want to show it because my opinion is more. And what Paul is saying here is, church, man, up. Live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Live in a way that when you put the gospel, you put this, what Jesus has done in your life beside each other on the scales, people can look at that and they're like, oh, I see that. Not, I don't know what he found, but it wasn't Jesus. Because what we teach people is, it's just stuff we say. But it never has an effect on anything we do or the way we live. And Paul says, you want to make God beautiful. You want to be the church that Jesus was talking about. If you want to be the like, church that crashes the gates of hell, here's, here's a novel idea. Live in a manner that's worthy, that makes sense, and compared to the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's, that's strong this morning. I'm going to kind of fly through the rest of this just because I want you to know there's some ways we have to do that. He says in verse 2, with all humility, that's seeing yourself as less important, by the way, getting off your hot horse, pushing others to the front and you being in the back, putting somebody else's feelings above your own feelings, putting somebody else's needs above your own needs. He says, think less of yourself. Step one, you're not a big deal. There's one big deal in the church. His name is Jesus. And it ain't you. Most churches, if they could get that, could get along. Amen? What do they fight over? I don't like the carpet. I don't like the music. I don't like the Bible. I don't like the... It doesn't matter what you like because it's never been about you. If Jesus please shut up. You're not that big of a deal. Amen? Can we just... You need to say that because you, you're not. Amen. 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 And it says, and gentleness. Quit being so mean and miserable. If most churches could get that, they'd get along. Yeah. It's not like a bulldog your way and your opinion through. Because again, your opinion doesn't matter. If you start with humility, gentleness is easy. Amen. Why don't you be forgiving because God's forgiving? Why don't you display that? Why don't you be grace because God is grace? Why don't you display that? Why don't you be love because God is love? Why don't you display that? Because the reality of it is if he would treat you like you treated others, you wouldn't like him very much. And that's true for all of us. He says, with humility and gentleness, and he goes on and he says, with patience. God loves patience. Patience is not just the ability to accept delay, by the way. It's not just, oh, when they're a little bit slower at getting it than you are. Patience is the ability to accept delay or problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed. Churches can't do that. They're not good at that. You know why? Because it starts with humility, and we're never good at that. If we would humble ourselves and not think of ourselves as such a big deal, it would be easy to be gentle and patient. Amen. Amen. And he says, let me just let you know, you want to walk worthy of the calling in a way that makes sense to your calling? Well, here's just a couple quick things. Quit thinking you're a big deal because you're not. And then because you're not, it's going to be easy to be kind. And it's going to be easy to be patient because it's not about you. 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 
It's not about me either. It's one name that we meet for, and it ain't mine. And it ain't yours. It's Jesus. And then he says, you do that, and here's the next step. Accepting one another in love. If you do the first three things, the next thing will happen. We, we can accept each other in love. We don't have to accept each other because we act the same. We don't have to accept each other because we all talk the same. I've had people that are new to church that I've went and hung out with, and they've cussed on the way down the road in the car. You know what I did? I ignored it. You know why? Because they're new. They didn't have to come in and act like me. I don't cuss. You know why? Because when people hear that, it reflects on Jesus. Simple. You know why I didn't say anything to them? Because God will change that. I don't have to accept them because they act like me or talk like me. I can accept them because God accepted me. See, the reality of it is our message is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So while they're yet sinners, shut up. Let God do the work. Amen? You can disciple people in love. You can come up beside them in love and be like, hey, dude, um, this is why I don't really think you should do that. But that's after they come to know him. Not before. Church has never been come and behave and then you belong. Right? Church has always been I come in and I belong, no matter what I look like, act like, dress like, talk like, or believe. And then I'll let God take care of the other parts. Amen. He says, accept one another in love. And then he says this, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Diligence is to work hard. That's what it means. And what he's saying to the church is, work hard to keep unity. Because I just say, unity is hard work. You know why? Because we're different. You know why? Because we come from different places and we look different, we act different, we have different opinions. It's hard to be humble all the time. It is. You know why? Because you go home and you get to do what you want. And then you come here and it's not about home anymore. It's about Jesus. And that, that's a mind shift. That's a switch. But he looks at the church in Ephesians, at Ephesus, and he says, work hard to keep unity. Be diligent to dive into, get your hands dirty in the work of unity. Can, can I just say, like Jesus prayed in the garden, go, go look it up later, I'm not going to read it for you this morning, but Jesus prayed in the garden for unity in the church, did he not? Make them one, just like we're one. To be a source of disunity or whatever the word would be. To be a cause of trouble in the church. A source of fighting and struggle in the church is to work against the prayer of Jesus and to be out of the will of God. What I'm not saying is there's never problems because there are and I'm quick to correct them. You, you know if you've been around very long, hey, I don't like that, quit doing that. Hey, you've not done that, you need to do that. I don't care to do that, but I do it. I love or I try to. I don't come. You're the most worthless thing ever. I'm getting rid of you. Blah, blah, blah. It's not worth it. He says, work hard to keep unity in the church. Work hard to keep unity. Be diligent is what he says. 
in keeping the unity of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit with the peace that binds us. And that peace that he's talking about is the peace between man and God that's brought to us by the sacrifice of Jesus. He says, for there is one body. He starts talking about things we have in common. There's one body. There's one church, big C, global church. We're part of the church in China. You're never going to meet those people on this side of the planet probably, but you're part of them. They're tied to you and you're tied to them. Amen? That church across the road, we're part of them. They may not know we're here and you may not know anybody that goes there, but we're part of them. We're tied to them because there's one body. He goes on, he says there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's not 14 different ones for all the churches around us. There's one. There's not 18 different ones in here. There's one. So there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. We all have the same hope. And that hope is that the blood of Jesus was enough, right, to save us from our sins, to set us free from guilt, shame, and death, to rescue us, to save us, and then to set us towards heaven, right, so that one day when we leave this place, we'll be in the presence of God. We all have the same hope. Reality of it is, I have to get along with you here because I'm going to go spend eternity with you there. I might as well learn to like you while I'm here because you're going to sit next to me in heaven if I don't. God, you ever had the parents around that like make their kids like hold hands or hug if they get in a fight? That's like God going to do us in heaven. Oh, you don't like them? Cool. There's your seat. There's your seat. Sit down. There's one hope at our calling. It says one Lord. His name is Jesus, by the way. He's ruler of our lives, all authority Jesus. This is one faith, and that faith is in the blood of Jesus. There's one baptism, and that baptism is not me or your ex-pastor or your other church. There's one, and it's the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? It says there's one God and Father of all. That's God, right? And it says who is above all, who's above all, and through all, who works through everybody. And oh, by the way, he's in all. What God's saying is there's more in common in this place than what separates us. And the things that are in common in this place hold more weight than the things that separate us. And what he's saying here is, you want to be a church that makes a difference. You want to be a church that, that, that gets anywhere. You want to be a church that is that gate-crashing church. You want to be a church where people look at you and they see and declare that God is beautiful. It starts with you. Amen? You want to be the, the church that, that is the church you want to go to? It starts with you. Doesn't start with Joe Bob. If he'd get his act together, we'd all be there. It starts with you. Amen. Amen. If you don't like the church you go to, why don't you be the church that you want to go to? Oh, I wish they'd do this. You do it. Oh, I wish they'd say this. You say it. Be the church that you want to go to. And he's saying when we do that, when we get that, when we all jump on board with that, when we get together and we realize that, man, it's not my opinion that matters. What really matters is unity because that's what God wants in the church. That's the will of God in the church is that we would unite in all of our differences, not that we'd be the same, but that we would work together. He said, you want to be that and you want to do that, then it starts with you. If you want to be part of the church that, that the world looks at and they're like, what is going on in there? What is happening in there? What is different about that place? What is different about their lives? That starts with you. Because I'll just be honest, doesn't matter what music we do, never going to get people in the door for very long. Amen. It doesn't matter how I preach or don't preach. You, you can change pastors. There's some churches that do it like every year, every two years. And I'll just let you know, they're dying. 
You know why? Because it's never about the preacher. You can change everything about this place. You can change the paint. You can change the chairs. You can have techno church. It doesn't matter. It'll never make a difference because the church is not a building or a set of things we do. It's not an organization or a denomination. The church is you. And if you want to be the church that God talks about, then you be it. And when you be it, you will see it. The reality of it is this morning, we will never do it alone and we'll never do it with a few. It's got to be all hands on deck. And when it is, man, God will be declared beautiful among the nations. And can I just say this morning, I believe this morning God's sitting on the throne and he's saying, man, I wish somebody would do it. Because I think most of the churches that are just around, I don't even know that God shows up to them anymore. Because they can't get along. They're full of whatever opinions. And they've made it about other things. And God said, you know what? It'll just be about other things then. I don't care whose name you keep saying. If it's not about me, I'm not coming. But man, if you would be my bride if you would be what what I've called you to be, if you would just like look at what I am and just mimic it to the best of your ability, man, the world will change. You know how I know? Because a megachurch didn't set forth the global change of Jesus. It was like 11 dudes that took him seriously and said, I'll be that. I'll be that. You know what we need this morning? Some people to say, I'll be that. I'll, I'll do it. So that's the call this morning. God's saying, just like Isaiah, who, who, who are going to send? Who's going to go? And the response this morning from our heart should be, I think I can do that. What about me? And if we would respond with that, you'd be amazed at what God will do in you and in this place. Let's pray.